This is the She Dares to Travel podcast, and I am your host, Raquela Pollock. After spending a decade managing the number one travel agency in Canada, I am now here to connect you to women that are taking the travel industry by storm, as well as female business professionals that also have a passion for travel, just like me. We are here to inspire, uplift, and motivate you to not only follow, but plan out your dreams, no matter where in the world they may be. Hello, all you daredevils out there. Raquel here, and this is episode five of the Sheeters to Travel podcast. Given that it's the holidays, my guest and I are looking to spread some holiday cheer and transport you with our stories all the way over to Europe. Tasha Hayes is currently based in London, England, and is the European Director of Operations for Kentucky Tours, a company that I happen to love and have traveled with them many times before. She is also an avid traveler, and she started out with Kentucky leading tours all over Europe as a trip manager. And her stories are some to relive because as a trip manager, <laughs> I think it's safe to say that you've probably seen it all when it comes to traveling with a large group of 18 to 35-year-olds. <laughs> so Tasha, thank you for joining us today. How are you? Hi, Raquel. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Now I'm doing quite well today. In London, it's a, you know, it's a bit cold, but as I look out my window, I, um, I can see the shard twinkling um, away with its you know, festive lights at the top. So I think um, December is generally always a very good month in London. And even though it's a little bit different this month, um, the lights are still out. The festive cheer is still in the air. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to have that during this time. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah, do they light it up every year? Um, I, yeah, they do. They seem to do a, a different kind of festive thing in the uh, in the winter time, and then obviously because of you know COVID and, and such this year during the during the summer months, they had uh, blue up there for the NHS and nice. and paying tribute to all the the healthcare workers. But yeah, they like to add a little bit of twinkle to the winter time to make it a little bit different. With your travels, you've done so you've traveled quite a bit. Have you always had a passion for travel? I would say yes, and I probably, you know, my parents instilled this in me in, in quite a young age, and um, I've been fortunate to have traveled to a lot of places. I'm, I'm half Dutch and half American, so an interesting little combo there with parents from both countries having dual nationality, so having two passports has opened up a lot of doors for me, and I'm very grateful for it. I was able to, to live in the Netherlands as a child for seven years, and, and Dutch was actually my first language. I learned English second, but I was one of those lucky children that got to learn how to ski in Austria. Um, we were visiting castles in the Loire Valley on holidays. I got to see battlefields at a young age. And my parents drove us to the Czech Republic back in 1994. And you have to think this was right after the dissolution of Czechoslovakia and communism ended. So I got to see a lot of cool things when I was young. Uh, probably didn't fully appreciate it at the age of six or seven, <laughs> seeing some of this. But I think it uh, paved the way for my travel bug and and continuously wanting to travel to new places and, and, and go abroad. That's one of the things I love about Europe is everything is so close. Like we're so spread out in Canada, which is fine. But if you want to hop into another country for a weekend, it's much easier to do in Europe, I find. So it's really nice to do that. It definitely is. And if you, you know, the Netherlands is, is tiny. If you look at it on a map, it's, it's, you know, it's minuscule and you can drive across the country in like two hours and you're already in a, you know, you're in Germany. So yeah, it is very different than Canada, which is ginormous. Oh, it's true. I know. So true we were in Amsterdam one time and we we just started walking and I was like yeah apparently if you just start walking in Amsterdam you kind of go in a circle so you can't really get lost and it was true <laughs> so it worked out great but, 100% yeah it does yeah uh, so have you um or how did you end up working for Kentucky well back in let me say 2011 um I had just graduated uni um and I had planned this backpacking trip around Europe with a friend of mine 
um, who I met. Uh, she studied abroad at my university, and I was an international student orientation person who kind of helped international students acclimate to our campus and American life and all that sort of thing. So we met there, and we're still good friends to this day. She lives in Scotland, and we planned this backpacking trip around Europe and I you know planned the itinerary the accommodations the sites everything we were going to do I was basically a trip manager without actually knowing that this was a job at this stage (laughs) and we stayed in hostels of course to you know stretch our budget we also wanted to meet people and we met a lot of Australians I hadn't really had any contact with Australians before this trip and suddenly they were everywhere in Europe at hostels so I got chatting to a lot of them and they they dropped the name Kentucky and they said oh you'd probably love working for them or that seems like it'd be perfect for you so as soon as I got home later that summer I I googled Kentucky and I read the job description I said wow this is exactly what I'm meant to be doing and and it spoke to me so much so I uh, applied that day and then I think a few days later I I got an email saying you're invited to an interview mind you the interview was in London I was living in in New York at the time so I I called the parents and and kind of Led my case here of how this was a good investment in my future, and they helped contribute to the airfare. Flew over for this interview in London and stayed with a friend who was living here. And I guess the rest is history. I found wow. out a few weeks later I got the I got a spot on the training trip and packed everything up. And then uh, the following March I I made it over to Europe to start a 66 day training trip. Ooh, and how long have you been? How many years, I guess, have you been with Kentucky then? I did. I was on the road for three years. I started in 2012, and what are we in now? 2020. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, nice. been quite a few years now. So I've yeah, done a few different roles with them. Very, very cool. And it just sounds like it was meant to be them. It was. Yes, I graduated university with a geography degree, which I think most people are like, "What do you do with a geography degree? Do you become <laughs> yeah. a teacher?" I had no idea. I before that, I thought I wanted to be a doctor and organic chemistry was the nemesis of me. So I decided that wasn't for me. So yeah, exactly. It was it was kind of meant to be and it fell into place and, and been a fantastic ride ever since. That is amazing. Have you always been a trip manager in Europe or have you been to like other countries while doing it as well? Um, only Europe, yes. We, uh, we, we just train in the regions that we apply for. But I was able to go to a few countries that, you know, Russia, Turkey, Egypt, Iceland. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to with Katiki. Um, but no, the other regions are all kind of looked after by their own little teams in those areas. So just Europe for me. Beautiful. Such a beautiful way to see so many different places. So as a trip manager, what were your duties that you had to do? It's such an interesting job and it's always super hard to, I think, explain to people what exactly the role of a trip manager is because it's so many things rolled into one. But essentially, you're, you're trying to make sure you get those, those people on your coach from, from city to city and that they're all there and none of them are missing, of course. Um, you're pointing out the best sites. Uh, and sounds of Europe, whether that's historical information, whether it's city tours um, or just logistical information. Um, And I think one of the most important things, you know, with 18 to 35 year olds is that you're making sure that they're having a great time because that's what they've done that, you know, they've paid for a vacation, they want to enjoy it. So you need to bring Europe to life to them. And I think a lot of them, that changes their perspective on history because they've only learned it from the school textbooks or maybe a really boring teacher back in the day. And then when they get there and they, they see it firsthand and you've brought the stories to life, it it changes their perspective on it, which is, which is amazing. You have to be able to be able to manage and deal with people from all around the world. I think most people, when they think of Kentucky, they think a lot of Australians and New Zealanders, Canadians, some Americans, but you do, you get people from South America, you get people from Singapore, Japan, China, and it's trying to bring everyone together and be able to have a great time together 
and deal sometimes with personality conflicts a few times having to go to a hospital having to go to a police station Mm -hmm. um, and deal with all those uncertain and those weird things that just pop up along the way so it's a lot of things in one it is it's a very diverse job and you're right the description is a little hard to do and I know when we've been my husband and I have done I want to say five or six Kentikis and every time we come back and we've learned so much like the information and the history and the knowledge that the trip manager has has always uh, stood out on every trip we've done and it's been so fantastic because you're right it adds to the time that you're there that you're learning so much but you're also just having a really fun time and they're usually I mean the ones we've done have been pretty fast paced as well so you're seeing a lot in a short amount of time too yeah no exactly and and I love that when people leave those trips that they've learned something and you you get those people that come on there who think they're just just there to party or have a good time but it's funny when you you chat to them at the end of the trip and they're like wow I've actually learned something too and that makes it um, extremely satisfying to hear that that someone's learned something that they didn't think they would learn when they came abroad for a visit so it is pretty special. Yeah. And you make such like lifelong friends. Like we've met so many people. It it really is such a fantastic way to travel. Or we even like to do it where we do like uh, maybe a week with Kentucky and then we go off and do our own thing. And then sometimes the people that we've met are like, hey, we're going there, too. We're like, oh, no way. And then we kind of keep hanging out as you continue to travel. So it's really a neat, a neat concept, definitely, for when you are wanting to go somewhere. Yeah, 100 percent. I think the the lifelong friends that people meet off of those trips. And as you said, I'm still in touch with so many people who still meet up every year or meet up when they can. I've had romances, but on trips where now, you know, people are married, they have Kentucky babies and they send me pictures. I love it because you're like, I was part of that and I was there at the beginning and it's special. It is very special. We were engaged on a Kentucky in Morocco on a Spain Portugal Morocco trip and my husband carted around the ring and he kept trying to find a, a the right time the right time and then as he kept kind of waiting he uh, started slowly to tell people and so pretty much like the whole bus knew that I was getting proposed to and I had no idea <laughs> finally it happened but it was fantastic because he got the trip manager involved we were on a beach um, in Tangier in Morocco we did a camel ride uh, proposed at sunset he had had everybody on the bus that knew so they're all taking photos they're all woohooing on the beach and then the trip manager put on some Barry White on the bus when we got back on and it was just a great moment I must say sounds fantastic and yeah it's so nice to have yeah your trip manager and all those people there with those photographs that maybe you normally wouldn't have gotten if you did it anywhere else so yeah (laughs) exactly it's I mean we know it can be a very fun job but I know that the stress levels must be very high as well what do you think the most challenging part of when you were a trip manager was I think it's when things don't quite go to plan because we plan so heavily in this job, but things like, you know, traffic or accidents or, you know, someone loses their passport or they get injured. And those those are stressful times, personality conflicts that there's a lot of pressure on you. And whilst you're not in, you're not in control of these situations, Mm -hmm. you're the one who has to fix it. You, You get stuck on the way to Venice and your coach that's something that someone's been looking forward to their whole life they only get an hour or two in Venice when that's what they've really wanted to do it yeah it's extremely hard to to come back from that sometimes and I think the other thing is just making sure that everyone on the coach is having a great time because you have up to 53 people on a coach and on most trips in Europe and I think it's a lot of pressure because you want you want everyone to leave with a smile on their face and generally that happens but it's just making sure that everyone has fun and people come with different expectations. And so you want to make sure that you meet those expectations. And I think as a trip manager, that's probably one of the most challenging things is to make sure everyone goes home happy. Definitely. Yeah, I could see that. 
And then on the flip side, what do you think is probably the most rewarding part about the job? It might sound very cliche, but I think it's being part of so many people's first experiences. People come, their first experience of traveling. Sometimes you get, you know, people that are 18 and have never left home and this is their first big time, you know, trip overseas. You know, people's first time going to Europe, it might be the first time they're seeing snow or they're eating escargot or seeing the Eiffel Tower. And I think they're always going to look back at those memories as something that was amazing and you're kind of part of that and helped curate it. So I think that was the thing that I left every trip with was that you were part of people's first experiences for something. And then, as you said, you know, you touched on the the friendships and I think being part of that and seeing romances or friendships uh, start on trips and then also continue afterwards is just, it makes you, it makes you feel happy inside. It still makes me feel happy inside to this day. Travel is one of those things where you really do hold on to those memories and they're lifelong memories and connections that you make when you travel. And I still even, our first Kentucky we did, because uh, Kentucky always does the day songs. So whenever we, yeah. every single day, we listen to the same song. And now when I hear that song for that trip, it reminds me and it does actually bring me back like it's supposed to, to Europe. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. It's the same. I, I, you know, I have all my day songs saved. And, and like you said, it just brings you back to those moments and remembers those people. And that's yeah, what it's meant to do. And I think such a happy little trigger. Yeah, exactly. So for anybody that's been thinking maybe of becoming a trip manager or something along those lines, is there is there a lot of studying involved? And even with planning out the itinerary, I know the itinerary is usually planned. Is there anything you can recommend for those people or give advice to if they're looking to do that job? Yeah, you're 100% correct. There's, there's a lot of studying involved. But I think the job is great because it doesn't attract the same type of person necessarily. There, Of course, you have to have an interest in traveling. But I had a lot of colleagues who I trained with that previously possibly were an accountant or an engineer oh, wow. or had done something else beforehand. And were like, I'm done with real life. I just want to go <laughs> do something that makes me happy. And so they applied to, to work for Kentucky. And for so many people, um, that's how they ultimately get led to that direction. But I think having an interest in you know the destinations you're going to in Europe is is essential. It is a lot of studying because rightfully so you're entrusted with coach of, of people who've spent a lot of money to come on this trip. But I think one of the most interesting things of this job is that whilst you go on this training trip and you have to do this assignment in the lead up, the studying and I guess the training never really ends because it's your own initiative to keep learning about what you're seeing and doing in Europe. So like every time I went to a different city, I'd make sure to go see a new site or go check out a new food spot so that these were things that you could recommend to your travelers. So anyone who's looking to follow in the footsteps and wants to be a trip manager, it's, you don't really need to have a specific background. We had people that come to us that have never been to Europe before, but they learn the information once they you know, do the, do the um, assignment and once they get on the ground and do the training trip. But it certainly is a lot of studying and prep to get you to that point. But I think if you have a real interest in it, then it's interesting, it's exciting, and you want to do it. Exactly. It's like the passion behind it and the passion for travel. And with all the stories I'm sure you have, if you had to choose uh, the funniest story while being a trip manager, what would it be? The funniest? I, I knew this was going to be a question. As I said, I had, I had, a, I went down, I did a trip down memory lane in my photo album just to kind of try to, you know, bring back some of these funny stories that have yeah. happened over the years. And it's just, yeah, I think back and laugh at some of the ones that have happened because it's just some of them are comical. Some are a bit just people get themselves into some interesting, you know, interesting, interesting <laughs> situation. Um, so there's there's many to share, but I'll go with the, the semi funny slash gruesome one. I was lucky enough to be able to run trips in Russia, Scandinavia. It was a region I later trained for and such an interesting part of the world. And 
people always get very excited for Russia and um we were staying in St. Petersburg for three nights and it was our first night going out for a canal cruise that evening. And then a lot of the group had wanted to go out and have a few drinks and, and hit the town. And we had dropped some of them off at this nightclub bar. I went back with the rest of the group to the hotel to go to bed. And then I think it was about three o'clock in the morning. I got a, a phone call from one of the guys in the group and he's like, Tash, you need to come down to room, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay. So of course I'm in my pajamas. I need to throw some clothes on we were staying in this very old Soviet style hotel and I was in this tower and they were in the other part of the hotel. So trying to get there as quickly as possible, I, I go down and I can see from the end of the corridor, there's quite a bit of blood. I can see an open leg. It was, like oh, I said, no. quite gruesome. Luckily, the, the, the traveler, she, um, she'd been drinking, of course, so she wasn't feeling the pain, uh, but she had somehow managed to fall pretty badly at the, um, at the uh, nightclub they were at and they brought her back. Then I proceeded to go to reception to try to get a first aid kit. They didn't speak any English. My Russian was pretty much non-existent. Oh, no. So then I uh, I wake my driver up, uh, Patrice, and I to go get the coach keys. I was like, there's a first aid kit in the, in the coach. I'll go out there. Again, still in pajamas at about whatever early hour it is. Go out there, finally find this first aid kit to bandage this girl's leg up so we can get her to the hospital. There was two boys that were fighting for her affection. So they're like, oh, we'll take her for you, Tasha. I was like, okay. We had gotten a hospital for my local guide who where she needed to go to. Apparently, they got to the hospital. They couldn't take her, so she had to go to another hospital. Oh, she tells me the next morning that she's at this hospital, probably four or five in the morning, and this doctor, this Russian doctor is apparently sewing up her leg, but he was like sewing his latex glove into her leg, <gasps> oh, and he no. didn't notice until a few minutes like into it and I was like wow that's like you know medical things gone wrong abroad um oh yeah but how she told the story was just just the the lead up to all of this was comical and she was a trooper trooper next morning she was ready to go and and see the city and she was on crutches bandaged leg and she's like this is a war story and a scar I'll have to you know tell my children later in life so yeah it was hilarious oh my gosh it's so true a war story I yeah, love exactly. it exactly oh my gosh it's it's so crazy the things that happen and then you know I mean we're talking about day songs for jogging memories or triggers but that's true too because I remember every time I've like hurt myself in another country or the the war wounds it's it's a good way to start a story sometimes but I, I can imagine this was pretty emotional too but would there are there any times that were really emotional for yourself or travelers and just curious how you probably navigated those times yeah certainly on the flip side you know you have the funny stories but then you also you know have the the emotional stories and I had a girl um an Australian traveler on a, um, a European trail trip that went to this trip goes to Poland and it's a very popular trip because a lot of people do you know want to go to Poland it's an interesting place to visit and, and it um has an included visit to Auschwitz and and Birkenau concentration camp with a local guide that takes them around and does the tour and and everyone it's not an exciting day but everyone looks forward to it because you hear the stories and people want to see it firsthand and I had a this traveler a few days ahead of the the visit I could tell she was a bit off and she wasn't acting herself and I had pulled her aside and we chatted um, one-on-one and she had said that she booked this trip because of this, this trip to Auschwitz and that her grandmother was actually an Auschwitz survivor. Oh, wow. um, and she had always, yeah, had promised, she had promised her grandmother that one day she would get there and, and, and visit it to see, you know, what it was like and to see it firsthand. So you can imagine that, you know, people are 
feeling a lot of emotions on this day to start with, but for her, it was super personal and yeah. a tough day for her, but she left, she was, she left in tears, yeah. but she said they were positive tears in one way because now she felt so much more connected and to her grandmother who had endured horrible experience. And the group, the group rallied around her. She didn't want to make a scene of it, but people could tell she was upset. But the group really supported her, and it connected us in a way too. And we continued chatting the rest of the trip. And she later came to London, and we met up again. But you know, I never thought I'd, I'd meet a traveler who had a family member that had ever been through Auschwitz. So it made it more personal for myself as well. And yeah, it was it was very moving and and very emotional that day for sure. A very neat way for her to connect so much to her grandmother, but that would have been very exactly. emotional. But it's the stories and the the emotions behind it. And just like you're saying, the connections that you can have just with the people that you meet, even if it's for such a short amount of time, they're very impactful. Now you're, you're European Director of Operations for Kentucky. How has that been a change wise from going from a very fast paced trip manager into director of operations? It, I mean, it's equally as fast paced, but it's a little mm -hmm. bit different as you know, as you point out, you're you're very customer facing as being a trip manager, whereas operations director, you're you're in the office most of the time and you're kind of behind the scenes. You know, the company's changed a little bit since I was on the road. We've got new trips, new destinations, new travel styles, which has all been super exciting. It took me some time to really not come to terms, but kind of understand that whether you're on the road delivering the trips or whether you're in the office kind of pulling some of the strings behind the scenes, at the end of the day, we're all working as part of the same team and are ultimately there to bring joy and, and positive vacations to people's lives. Um, but it, yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit of a transition in having to, to settle into this new sort of role, as well as settling in one location as someone who was living out of a suitcase for, for quite a few years yeah. and bouncing between different accommodations and finding a place to sleep and always having that suitcase carted behind you. At first, nice to kind of put it down, to be honest, and to be able to hang things in the closet and be like, wow, <laughs> I can hang things up. It was, yeah, it was a novelty. Yeah. And luckily, this job still allows me to travel. So it hasn't been, you know, saying goodbye to travel. It's just doing it a little bit differently. So what type of things has Kentucky been working on during this time? I know with COVID, things are, are very different. It's, you know, it's definitely a strange sensation, sensation that I'm working for a travel company, which doesn't have anyone traveling at the moment. So, you know, people must think, oh, you're not really that busy at all. But actually, it's been a, it's been a big year for us in a lot of different ways. But a lot of great things have come out of this year that maybe would have taken a bit longer to materialize just because we would have been in our normal cycle of operating trips and making sure everything was running correctly. But we focused this year on some domestic trips globally. Two, about two weeks ago, Australia had a, um, a Queensland trip. And whilst this sits under a different operating um, team, it's been really nice to kind of vicariously live through them having actual travelers, you know, traveling Australia. Yeah. Uh, and then we've also had some other domestic trips that have been created here in the UK um, for the UK market, um, a Wales winter escape, some yoga in Devon and um, wilderness mm -hmm. glamping in Wales as well, Very which nice. are all part of a new sub-brand called Detour, which has just recently launched. And it's a little bit different than the normal Kentucky, but it's still you know part of the brand and it's more kind of immersive, shorter host-led experiences where someone might want to say learn how to do truffle hunting in in Italy or like I said yoga or you know surf in Morocco so these are kind of more niche um trips that we've been working on to launch for 2021 neat that sounds exciting truffle hunting i definitely would like to do that 
yes and there's if you're a dog lover there's dogs involved as well so um that's always a perk i think (laughs) (laughs) exactly awesome exactly and then um yeah i mean we've been doing a lot of kind of boring behind the scenes work just to like i said organize a lot of the things behind the scenes but um we've also had a massive focus on sustainability which i think is a big focus for a lot of people right now and it's is kind of one of those catchwords out there right now and we are lucky that we have a sustainability branch of the travel corporation which is the parent kind of brand of um, Kentucky mm-hmm. and so we've been working on how we can further implement our sustainability goals as we move forward because it's it's yeah a big project for the company but they're really passionate about it and what we call make travel matter experiences so we want to implement more of these going forward but we want to make sure that they're really adding value to the communities that we visit and that they're just not over touristy, if you know what I mean. Yes, definitely. The other big focus for us has been finding local suppliers so that we're, we're supporting local people in their communities in different, in different forms. And, you know, one of the great ones we found last year is a, a guy named James who's up in Northern Ireland and he's been a, he's a fourth generation shepherd. And oh, so now yeah. our Ireland trips will go meet him and his dogs and his sheep on his farm and he kind of walks you through what shepherding would have been like for his grandfather and his father and how it's it's changed and what he's doing to still kind of keep the tradition alive that would otherwise kind of die out in that part of Ireland. So like that, we're trying to really meet these local people and get our travelers to connect with these local people. And it's funny because people love seeing sheep and they love seeing dogs when they're on a trip, which is um, not the Eiffel Tower, but people love it. It's true. I remember when we were, I think we were in Ireland and we saw the really hairy cows. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, uh, yeah, but it was Ireland or Scotland, one of the two. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you would have seen the hairy cow. And that was yeah. that was a definite highlight. So the sheep, I think, would have been yeah. a highlight as well because it's true. It's it's something you don't really see much of really where we live. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I love those experiences. So it's nice that you're incorporating more of them and making sure the money is going back into the hands of the locals and creating more of a... A ripple effect, if you will, right? 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For people that are thinking of doing a Kentucky or have done it before, are there any suggestions on, on ways that we can kind of still stay connected even without travel right now? Yeah, there certainly is. And I think, you know, it's difficult, but I think we're so lucky in the world that we live in right now, how much technology has allowed us to stay connected during this time when we can't generally have face-to-face interaction or maybe travel to the places we had expected to travel to in 2020. But a few of our great partners here in Europe, and I know, you know, globally, a lot of them are doing it, but a company called Eat With, Eating Europe, which hosts kind of normally food tours and immersive dining experiences, have created digital platforms where you can still maybe learn how to cook pastel de nata with someone from Portugal through your through your phone or your, your um, computer screen. And I recently saw that, you know, Amazon Explore has really kind of kicked off and is now letting people buy one-on-one experiences through a local in a different city where you can go on a walking tour or again learn how to cook something so I think obviously with it being December it's the perfect time of year to to gift that travel lover in your life maybe something like that but it lets you maybe you're sitting in in Canada or you're sitting in the U.S. or Australia but you can be taken to the streets of Porto on a walking tour with someone who lives there which I think is pretty incredible so it allows those people to still stay connected with travel and, and and foreigners during a time where you can't physically be there. I think that is a fantastic gift 
to do um, like a, a, the eat with. I'm going to check that one out with um, a cooking class with somebody that is in another country. I, I think it's a beautiful gift. I have a girlfriend and she is a, a travel agent and she is missing travel so much that every day she goes on to Google Maps and she finds these small little streets and really cute streets in different countries and she actually puts the little guy on there and then she walks the streets because it, to her it kind of is so interesting and that's what she normally would be doing she's traveling so she's like it just makes me feel good and I find these really unique places that maybe I can visit one day so it's keeping that that travel bug alive uh, that's a, yeah that's probably one of the coolest stories I've heard of someone trying to yeah still feel like they're abroad well since it is the holiday Excellent. season and Christmas markets are oh they're at the top of my never-ending bucket list where in Europe is the best place to visit uh you're 100% correct and I hope you get to make it over here in the near future for it because it's probably yeah, one of my favorite times to be in Europe during Christmas market time because it is the cities, they just they just wake up a little bit. You know, you kind of, summer finishes, it quiets down a little bit and it's autumn, it's still pretty, but it's a lot of rain. And then, yeah, suddenly all the lights are up and the food stalls are out and it just brings a, a special, you know, feeling. I've been lucky enough to, to lead groups during kind of the festive season and, and to check out a lot of the Christmas markets in Europe, which has been great. But I'd say two, uh, three or four of my top ones, I probably can't narrow it down to one, but mm-hmm. Vienna, Munich, Prague and Dresden are probably my top four if I had wow. to give you those because they're just quintessential, like amazing, you know, European architecture, old squares and sizable. Dresden's funnily enough, the oldest Christmas market in Europe, which um, oh, wow. it started in 1430, 1434, if we can even think back that far, but they were having Christmas markets back then, I think a little bit different, but still a Christmas market. And they started as a way for kind of like the villagers and the, the locals to be able to break up that, you know, cold, dark winter. And really, I guess it's this, it's the aroma of that, the food. I'm a big foodie. So for me, anything that has food involved in it. And so you just get that gingerbread and the mulled wine or the glue wine in the air. There's always you know, toasted almonds and chestnuts. Um, the lights go up and there's generally, you know, Christmas trees decorated, the little stalls with people sending, you know, selling their handicrafts and mm-hmm. different local foods, generally an ice skating rink. So it's always fun, you know, when you're there with a Kentucky group and maybe people haven't ice skated before and they always want to give it a go. It's always a bit of fun as well. Then every country has specialties to look for in terms of food and craft. So I'd always kind of pass out a, a, sh- a handout to my travelers and say, you know, these are the things to look for when you're in Budapest and this is what to look out for in Prague just so they can try the different varieties of food that get offered at them. But it's, yeah, it's a special time to be here and it's just a, a sense of happiness and cheer in the air. But I actually put a quick Google of Dresden Christmas Market and it is stunning. It's That square is massive and there's even a, a little Ferris wheel. There's a merry-go-round. Yeah. Christmas is so fun and especially with things like these markets and, and things to do, right, while you're there. What about in Europe to, um, for ski vacations? Definitely, and I'm, I'm probably going to be slightly biased here, but um, I mean, I've skied in a few different places in Europe, but and it, this one is connected to Kentucky, but we have a, a lovely um, Gasthof based in the Tyrol region of Austria um, in a small, small town called Hopfgarten, and Kentucky's been there for a lot of years, and it was actually, the town was stumbled upon by accident by some of the kind of early pioneers of Kentucky, they they got off route and ended up in Hopfgarten and some of the locals were having, you know, a beer at the, the gas station, which is what the hangout spot was in this little town and um, said to these guys like, well, you could, you know, you can stay here. We've got accommodation. We can feed you and blah, blah, blah. And it was the, the beginning of a very long and, and still current relationship with this little town. And it's, 
morphed into both being a summer and a winter destination, but it's just that um, that little you know little town feel in Austria, super beautiful and nice you know old church and cobblestone streets and the ski veld, which is the area that um, you know the ski resort is in, is the largest interconnected ski area in Europe. So there's oh, about wow. 280 kilometers of of ski runs. So you really can't get bored, and so that's why you know I go back every year. And you, you can ski different runs every year. It's it's fantastic. Love it. I'll add that to my list too. Why not? I'm gonna just keep yeah. adding this year. <laughs> it's just piling them on. <laughs> piling it up. Yeah. You can do uh, you can do Christmas markets and skiing at one time. You can do one trip and exactly. get them both done. Well, as we're we're coming close to the end of twenty twenty here, for those that are just as passionate about travel as we are, what kind of advice do you have for them as we we come to into a new year even? I think, you know, 2020, without a doubt, has been, you know, tough for so many reasons, but I think especially um, yourself, myself, and anyone else who's affiliated, you know, with the travel industry or, or loves to just simply travel, it's 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 been difficult, it's been made super hard or impossible for certain countries, just depending on what, what where you call home. I was lucky enough to escape to Italy for a short stint in September, just because the borders opened up, we didn't have to nice. quarantine, but I know for so many countries, it wasn't possible. And I can imagine if you're someone who's used to traveling and used to, to moving about and that right or that privilege has been taken away from you. It's been, it's been, it's been difficult, but I think the thing to always, well, the thing to remember and what I keep telling myself is that it's not if travel will come back. It's, it's, it's a win question, you know, mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of positive news, obviously in the last few weeks of the vaccine. And I think that in the right direction, but I think hang in there because the borders will soon be open again. And then I think, with this little reset in tourism, I think countries that maybe sometimes were a bit grumpy or took advantage of so many people coming to their countries every year will be, of course, opening their arms wide and open and wishing everyone to come back and being super welcoming. And I think the other thing is that for so many people, they might have said for so many years, like, oh, I really want to get to Italy or I really want to get to Paris. And maybe they keep putting this sort of stuff off and say, oh, there'll be a better time to do it. And I think this pandemic has obviously made us realize that if there's things that we really want to do, we just need to go out and do them. So I hope that um, once people can travel again, that if there's something they've put off for so long that they kind of take the plunge and, and go and do it and, and, and tick those things off their bucket list. It is a great reminder, too, that for the people that kind of turn their nose up at tourists or thought, oh, like more tourists in the city, more tourists. Now it's going to be it will be more of an open arm thing, which is very exciting for for a lot of countries and cities. And oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait to get traveling again. I've actually started planning trips without booking them now (laughs) so I have like a month-long itinerary I'm putting together for like the Philippines or somewhere and I'm just looking at researching and it kind of satisfies that little bug in me without uh, actually committing to it just yet but one day I will that's amazing (laughs) yeah whatever you need to do to 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 get I get get through it and if it's that you know it's that that positivity that helps you get through it that's what you need so what's um Mm -hmm. what's number one on your list is that number one? Oh, I've been researching a lot into Bhutan, actually. And uh, it's been yeah. a place that's been um, that really I would love to go. And I've, the more I learn about it, the more um, I can't wait to visit it. I know it's a very closed off country, but I would say, yeah, there I, I love all parts of Asia. But then Europe, we actually were supposed to yeah. in um, October, we had to cancel our trip. We were going to do 
um, Halloween in Transylvania and actually be for Dracula's castle Halloween. Oh, it was going to be fantastic. So now, and we've been putting that one off for so many years and finally this was the year. So I'm like, all right, I guess it's not this year, but we will still do it at one point. So that's up there too. Yeah. Yeah. It's up there too. So many. Yeah. So many. So where can people find you or Kentucky to stay connected as well? The best way, I mean, Kentucky, we were 18 to 35 year old Kiki um, on Instagram, I think is one of the best places to, to, to check us out. That's where we post a lot of travel inspo and our latest deals and, and everything that's happening. We also have a kind of an online travel lifestyle magazine which is called 6-2, based off of 1962, which is when Kentucky was founded. So if people are just looking for some lifestyle and content pieces or cool things that are happening in different countries that we travel to, that's a cool thing to check out, stay engaged with what's happening around the world. And then, yeah, myself, I'm on Instagram, so with my surname, Hayes Tasha. So I generally try to always put travel-related things on there as well. So happy for people to, to reach out if they have any travel questions or would love to you know, work for Kentucky or want to know about becoming a trip manager, all that sort of things that are more than happy to, to help people out with that and, and inspire the next the next people to, to follow in my footsteps maybe. You got it. Well, thank you again just for taking the time to share your stories, your adventures and a little peek into what it's like to be a trip manager as well. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me and um, yeah, I hope um, we can all be traveling very soon again and um, for some people to get out there and travel to some of these amazing destinations around the world. Oh, me too. One day soon, it will happen. Thank you and happy holidays. If you like this episode, please subscribe and download a few more and leave a review. I would really love to hear from you, what you enjoyed and what your key takeaways were. And of course, let me know if there's any aspect of the travel industry that you want me to talk about next. You can search for the hashtag She Dares to Travel podcast on Instagram and comment on the episode's post with your questions. I would love to answer them for you. I hope you enjoy your day. Stay so well. And until next time, fly straight. This wouldn't be possible without our sponsor, Staples Studio, where I am currently recording from. Check them out on their website, studio.staples.ca. It truly is a new approach to co-working with community at its heart. There's access to hot desks, meeting, and event spaces all across North America. So thank you so much, Staples Studio, for connecting us and sponsoring this podcast. And thank you for listening. Enjoy, and be sure to subscribe and follow along.